Today's episode, I talk with Alric Warner, CEO of Bass Printing Company. We discuss his 34-year career with Procter & Gamble as a scientist, product developer, and manager. We also discuss how to succeed in corporate America as a minority, and we go into why he decided to buy a printing business in retirement. I am here today with Mr. Warner, owner of Bass Printing Company. Um, thanks for hanging out with me today, Mr. Warner. Thank you, Philip. Really I appreciate it. And, and let me actually say your full name so people know, Alaric Warner. Um, and I, what I'll do is drop all your information in the podcast notes. But y'all, this is a special guest. And so let me, let me explain to you um, how I got a chance to meet uh, Mr. Warner. So um, as you know, the first 90 or so episodes of my podcast was just me um, given my thoughts and ideas around investing and financial planning. And a big part of investing, I always say, is understanding like how business works, right? If you don't understand business, it's going to be hard to really be a really good investor. And so I started thinking of different ways to teach people about investing in a different uh, way. And it was like, hey, why don't I get interview uh, executives and business people that are good in business and it'll help people better understand business. And so I was scrolling through LinkedIn, looking at some of my contacts, and I came, came across Mr. Warner's um, contact information. And I looked at his bio, and he, I mean, he, I'm 34 years old. And so basically my entire life, right, he's been um, running um, operations within Procter & Gamble, a legendary um, company that sells consumer goods. Um, and he ran global projects have multiple patents and so I was like well man I've, I've never met him but let me let me message him and see if he'd be willing to uh, uh to come on the show and, and he said yeah so I appreciate your time um and he's also recently started um a business uh, after retirement which is crazy right whenever you think most people are gonna <laughs> retire and hang it up he said let me go take on another challenge so he's definitely a guy I want to learn some stuff from so appreciate you thank you thank you Mr. Washington and, and where I like to start is just you know, so let's let's start like in the beginning. Where where'd you grow up? Uh, where'd you go to college? Yes, I grew up in the Caribbean. I was born on an island called Saint Kitts, which is part of a two island uh, federation, which is now which is referred to as Saint Kitts and Nevis. And just a bit of history: um, Alexander Hamilton, famous American financier. Um, and who helped to forge this nation was born on the island of Nevis. Oh, wow. Not St. Kitts, but in, on, on Nevis. Um, finished school there, and I had two wonderful Peace Corps volunteers, American Peace Corps volunteers, who encouraged me to go to school in the U.S. and not stay on St. Kitts to be a teacher. So... 
they encouraged me to come to Texas A&M. That's where I came to, which was quite a cultural shock <laughs> coming from a small, uh, I would say 90% black Caribbean island. <laughs> I spent two years at A&M and I thought, okay, this is not exactly for me. Let me finish up at the University of Houston, which I did. So I obtained my degree in chemical engineering uh, at the University of Houston. During that time, I was able to co-op, fortunately, at a couple of companies, one of which was Procter & Gamble. The other was Maxwell House Coffee. But I really, really loved Procter & Gamble's culture, the innovation. And honestly, I also liked the way that so many African-Americans were making strides up the corporate ladder. Mm. So I decided to move from Texas and to go to live in cold Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so you were, so 34 years ago, that was when Procter & Gamble, I mean, they were already a powerhouse, but that's, yes. I mean, the last 34 years is when they really started to dominate. So you were there at some interesting times. Yes, I was there at some very interesting times. Um, for example, I could think of my first project that I worked on was an always always sanitary napkins. There was no always. Most ladies who use feminine protection products were using Kotex and that sort of thing. And but PNG with the innovation brought always to the table, brought always to the market. And I was proud to be part of that. Okay. And what was your, and what was your role there? My role was packaging. So I was able to use some of my learnings from working at Shell as a co-op student to do some things on, on plastics, in particular the fold and wrap package. I worked on that, worked with a very good friend of mine. His name is Joe Kelly. We developed the fold and wrap wrapper for always. It was uh, developed jointly with a company in Germany that has now since grown immensely. And I spent a lot of time, two and a half years in Germany, working on that and making it global, really. Uh, not only in, in, in the U.S., U.S., Canada, uh, Germany, France, all over the world, then eventually Japan. Oh, wow. So it's grown tremendously from nothing in 1984 to now, 2018, one of the most, in fact, the most successful, most widely sold uh, feminine product in the world. So, so when, when property, so I know Procter & Gamble acquires some of its uh, companies, yes. but then also start some from scratch. Yes. So how, how does it work? The process of start. So, so with the all, this is always, for example, you you create it, you start it. But like, I'm curious, how does that process go from like start to global distribution? Because that's yeah. <laughs> that doesn't that's, sound that's like huge. Yeah. One of the things it's not done as much anymore, but we have a lot of migration plans, migration in terms of the growth of the product, the size. So we start off with a test market. And even before that, we do a lot of consumer testing. I mean, we really had in ourselves, you know, for example, is this product sized right? Is it thick enough? Is it long enough? Is the color right? And oh, by the way, what about the package? What is the package going to say? I mean, we take, I mean, a long time to figure out every single detail about this product. Not just what's inside, but what's on the outside. Mm. How... African-American consumers gonna look at it. How are Latino consumers gonna look at it? Do we have the right graphics? I mean, it's amazing. It's an amazing company. Hmm. Yes. And, and so what, what were some other cool projects you worked on along, along the way? One of my funnest projects 
was bounty. So as a chemical engineer, after doing this work on always, I wanted a challenge. So and um, it, it was a couple of challenges. But the first one was, how do you make bounty softer, whiter, thicker? And by the way, this is a team effort. So I'm not the only one working on this. Mm -hmm. So there's some great technologists who worked on this, and I happen to play a role there in that. So we made paper, got some experience there. This is all new for me, by the way. And after once, I made a comment that I didn't like how it was printed. My director said, well, if you feel so strongly about it, why don't you go work on printing? And go, <laughs> you know, you know something about printing? So why don't you go and make the bounty printing better? So I did that, and again, team effort. There's a couple of other people that we work with in our engineering organization, guys working on inks with me and so on. And we developed something that everybody thought was stupid, which was, Four color process printing of bounty. Hmm. Now, you, I don't know too many kitchen towels that are not printed. Yes, some, but of course. How was, how was it done before? Well, we did single color printing. You know, you do one color, mauve and blue and whatever. But now we can do, I mean, almost like an, a, a picture image on bounty. We can, and I, I recall one of the funnest projects we worked on. So once we have had this full color printing process defined. And, mm -hmm. I mean, we just executed this with excellence. Then 911 occurred and I proposed and uh, folks agreed, hey, why don't we do a, a print that celebrated America, red, white, and blue, and so on. And we did a series of prints that was, I remember launched um, in the summer of two. 2001, 2002, mm. it was after 9-1-1. And this worked so well that we ended up shipping some of these patriotic prints, as they were called, into Canada, which was, of course, a mistake, but we were shipping so well. <laughs> sometimes, so sometimes success can be a bit of a problem. Mm -hmm. But we, I guess we made Walmart a bit mad. Walmart Canada <laughs> by shipping U.S. patriotic prints into Canada, but they were beautiful. Mm -hmm. A variety of products. We did it very, very fast and with excellence. So and we won several awards for that. Got it. So, yeah. What, what What were some of the challenges you faced, like in you know in a big company? You know, because I imagine there weren't too many African Americans. Uh, also, in a big company like that, you probably have a lot of egos. In order to get that great, you have a lot of great people working together, which means. Yeah, and I tell you, they are complex. so this, this, this is a two-sided coin, because as an African-American, this is where you have to be savvy and learn to play the game in the sense of, you have to learn to find mentors, people who can mentor you and teach you how to present your stuff, coach you, and tell you where the dead bodies are buried and where not to go. <laughs> and believe me, I've done some of those things, tripped on the wrong graves. But um, I found, yes, there were challenges and egos. And some people, let's be blunt, this is America. And the truth is that there's some people who didn't want to see African-Americans necessarily doing well, because I think it's fear. The good thing, this was back in the late 80s. So hopefully things have improved significantly now. And I know one of my colleagues is now a president, one of my guys who I started the company with. 
um, William Gibson. He's now, if you can ever get him on here, that'll be great. He's now president of packaging uh, at Procter & Gamble. Okay. And we would sit and discuss and talk about how to do things. I had a very, very nice mentor as well. His name is Mike Tufiri, who helped to push me into being more confident in myself and realize that I should attend meetings, which I hated. <laughs> um, I wanted to be in the lab <laughs> doing my thing. And he thought, hey, listen, you need to come to meetings because you guys talking about your stuff that are patentable and they don't know what they're talking about. I was very shy. I stuttered. I could hardly get a word out. And he encouraged me. He got his wife to take me to a speech therapist, which has made a huge difference in my life because now I can't shut up. Right? <laughs> my wife says that. But um, it's, it's important. You've got to be able to communicate. You've got to be able to work with people. And sometimes you've got to forgive. I've learned to forgive people who do stuff. I don't want to say exactly too much, but some people would try to sabotage what you're doing. People who would sometimes steal your inventions and call it their own. Folks, and sometimes we have unconscious biases. They just don't hear or don't want to hear, whichever I'm not going to try to characterize it. But as African-Americans, even as women, let me speak up for the ladies, that folks don't listen to them, mm -hmm. right? And they have ideas, we don't listen. But you know, for us to compete and do well, we had to learn that we got to listen to everybody and take the ideas on board. Sometimes they're not fully cooked, but okay, fine. A lot of mine were not fully cooked. Mm -hmm. And find work, hold hands together, hold our noses together sometimes and say, let's try this, you know, and let's fine tune where we can. And these are the results of some of our inventions. I'll give you one simple one. Mm -hmm. It's on the wall over here. Um, these are just some of my patents on the wall. But Let's say lotion. I worked on a product way back when, early in my career, called Certain. Then it became Shaman Plus. And basically, it's a lotion bathroom tissue, toilet paper with lotion. Okay? And I was able to fine-tune that, make it cheaper and better. And I'm not going to go into all the technical details of the surfactants and the emollients and all that stuff that we use. But... Once we got it to work, it was a big hit and became a very stable product for Procter & Gamble. Okay, then I said, hey, let's give this some legs. What can we do with this in other areas of the business? So we transferred that to Puffs. So we have Puffs Plus with lotion, worked on that. Slightly different application technology, but still, it works. And then the big one from this was, and I, the first person to try, I tried this on was my daughter. Can we put it on diapers? And I think I've got nine patents or 10 out of this one, where we put it on the top sheet of the diaper. And it turns out, not only does it make the baby's skin smooth and fresh and so on, but it prevents buildup, it prevents rashes. And it's a huge thing that we have sold all over the world. It's hmm. huge, massive. Right? Yeah, yeah. Diaper rash is a real issue. Yeah, no, it, oh, yeah. both my kids have sensitive skin. So yes. yeah, it's, it's a yeah. big deal. Yes. So. And we had to, I had to figure out ways to make the lotion a bit more efficacious for the baby's skin, such as using very mild surfactants, mm -hmm. you know, to help with the wetability and skin contact and all that stuff. So, 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 I, so take, take away from that is probably, you know, if, if, you, if you find mentors, hone your craft, yes. be patient, uh, don't, don't, don't let the pain of, uh, other people trying to hurt you affect you 
it all works itself out. It all works itself out. I think for the most part. And you know, just, just one more thing on mentors. Sometimes your mentors, if they're really honest with, with you, will tell you things that you don't want to hear. Mm. Trust me, I did not want to hear some of the things that my mentors told me. But you know what? They were right. They were right, and I needed to hear it. The other thing is, as you do your development, always think, I always ask the question, and when a mentor asks, okay, so what? You got this great idea, so what? What's it gonna do for mankind? Hmm. How can you monetize this? You can have a nice fancy molecule or idea, so what? If you can't monetize it, nobody's gonna buy it. So you gotta find ways, like this lotion. When Procter & Gamble first uh, had this lotion on, on, well, it was called Certain at the time, it was very expensive. The application standard deviation was very, was huge. And I was able to find a way to improve the process to really cut it in less than half, hmm. right? So then we can really target that. So we have something in engineering we, we call, uh, I just lost the word, but the, the application was much more precise. And then we can save cost and load it with value. So that's it. The so what was, how can we sell it to consumers that they can appreciate it, that we, they know that, hey, if I buy this now or 10 months from now, it's the same lotion level mm. and the same feel. It's not too dry, not too wet. And gives mm -hmm. you the same effect. So, so on, on the mentor note, this is the thought that just, just came into my head too. So when you're, when you're, so when you're, probably as ambitious as, as you are and you attract a lot of people that that admire you know admire your your uh, ambition but then also maybe you're jealous how do you know whose feedback is is constructive criticism and how much is negativity does, does that make sense yes because yes. you want to take it all in but you want to let yeah. the useful stuff in right yeah that's a that's an excellent question Philip really it's a very difficult thing now, for me, I'll, I'll give you two sides. Me mentoring somebody. I, if I'm going to give them tough feedback, I don't want to embarrass them. That's the worst thing you can do is to demoralize a mentoree. So I always want to give them confidence. That's a big word for me, C word, confidence. So at Procter & Gamble, what I like to do is take people in a nice, safe place, typically late in the afternoon, and there's a reason for that go to the cafeteria, we can drink water or whatever, you know, and I can tell them the good, hard stuff and give them my reasoning behind it. Now, very often they would then get mad and they would want to go home, take a shower, cry, whatever. And I've done that, okay? Same for me. Take me away. Don't, if you really care about somebody, you don't want to embarrass them. So don't do it in front of a crowd. Don't do it in front of him. just one-on-one -on -one and really think about the message you're going to convey. By the message, I mean not just what you're going to say, but what are they going to think of after you've left and gone, gone home to your home or gone back to your desk? What are they going to think of you? So you've got to explain the why. That's big for me. Mm. Why am I telling you this? Why is this the right approach? 
let them give them chances to ask questions also and mm -hmm. play, you know role play you know um, so for example mike defury he came into my office closed the door behind me behind him pulled the shade back then we had offices they weren't open offices and he wanted to convince me that i should go to meetings and i was petrified i mean it was crazy for me it was started to go to a meeting and tell people something that they probably didn't want to hear. And by the way, let me say, if you have something that is truly innovative, nobody is going to believe it. Mm. It's radical. So how do you do that? As a young African-American coming in with some idea, like I propose to print the lotion rather than extrude it. We're talking, you know, several million dollars to build a new machine oh, wow. to reduce the standard deviation, right? So that the signal-to-noise ratio, that's the word I was looking for, would be very high, right? Signal-to-noise ratio very high. It's now it's standard in the industry. Yeah. When I said, let's print lotion, uh, a bounty, which is the quicker picker wrapper, it's going to absorb water. Well, we're printing water-based ink, so which means that the ink will likely want to bleed and the prints won't look as sharp. It's radical to say, yes, we can do it. We can build colors, put down four water-based inks in very close proximity to each other, but yet still they would look sharp. It's radical, it's stupid, it's dumb, it's, it's not true. But we did it. Mm. And that's what innovation is all about. And that's why you need mentors to help you, to guide you, to say, okay, this is the problem. Define it very clearly, very clearly. What do you want to do? Don't come with a bunch of stuff. Just what do you want to do? That singular definition. Ah, now, how are you going to do it? And what are the possible challenges that you're going to face? Mm. And sometimes it's very difficult as an innovator to think through that cycle of thought processes. Because mm -hmm. it's not natural. We don't get it at home. Your parents have arguments that throw stuff at you. <laughs> Either they don't go to that engineered process mm -hmm. of developing an idea. And you got to do it and writing it down and you see stuff on the board here. Mm -hmm. It's not normal for us to do that. Right, yeah, no, it, it, you're right, you're right. Yeah. So your mentors should help you with that. And a lot of times, the last thing we say, third piece, very important to me, is that very often we think we know the one answer. Oh, it's gotta be this. I hear politicians all the time, oh, it's got this is the answer. <laughs> well, unfortunately, God was a great engineer, is, still is a great engineer, and he knows that he has to put things so that there are multiple facets for our understanding. And we've got to stop thinking there's only one answer to any one thing. That's a great point. That's a great point. So, yeah. so, so you, you've done something that I don't know, maybe I'll be able to do later in life, but you also uh, done business uh, internationally. And you mentioned you were in Germany, Japan. Yes. Um, so I mean, how was that? Like, what, you know, what'd you learn? How'd you adapt to different cultures? You had to convince people also in different cultures. I mean, how? Yes. It's, now the good thing is that in Germany, we were bringing them business. Mm -hmm. And with Procter & Gamble supporting me in the background there, it was, it was, I'm not gonna tell you it was very easy, but certainly it was easier than if I had gone and doing my own business. <laughs> that was, we had some credibility. Now, I remember the first few meetings that we had with purchasing in Germany when we told them we wanted to make this uh, catamenial product. They had never heard of Always. They had all heard of Cotex, 
and they thought we were crazy, that there's no way, you know, you're wasting your time. Please make something else, make a better diaper. That's, we, I heard that. So we just have to tell them, well, we're doing a lot of consumer tests. We've got some consumer data and we know this is going to work because this is what consumers want in North America. So with that consumer data, it was a little bit easier to convince them. Now, the other thing is, was that we went to a small company. Small companies are sometimes a lot easier to work with. We went to a small company. They were hungry. They wanted to grow. And we, sh we gave them the carrot. We said, look, if this thing works, if it always goes global, you're going to be a huge company because mm. we want to work with you. And that actually happened. Hmm. The owner of the company went from one factory, then to two, then he built a factory in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, yeah. Then he built one in Canada, near our plant in Canada. So he went to two factories internationally. The guy had never been outside of Germany. Oh, wow. And all of a sudden, so, you know, now his company is huge. He sold it. And it's a huge conglomerate. Uh, so... Yeah, yeah, okay. And, and that actually makes sense because you would think a company like P&G would go from big company to big company, but if it's a new or challenging market, I guess it would make sense to find a company you can grow it, which is, which is similar to what everybody else does in business. You know, early on in business, I would talk to, you know, it's not going for the person that had the $10 million account. You know, I, I had to, you know, find the people that can put away $500 a month, you know, and, 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 and grow. So, no, okay. Um, and, and, um, so all this makes sense to why you transfer or transition to your current business printing, right? Now, now it makes sense to me after hearing that. Um, but, but how, you know, but how did you end up saying, all right, I, I want to be in the printing business. Um, and, and I, and I want to come to funky town, you know, Fort Worth, Texas. Yeah, actually it was a lot. It's a, it's a, well, not so complicated. There are a couple of factors. One was I love printing. It's in my blood, and I find it, to be honest, easy. Mm. I don't know, printing just comes naturally to me, and it's a passion of mine. So that's one piece. I almost purchased a company in Cincinnati, and uh, maybe God was on my side. This company made tickets, printed tickets. So it was a very limited market, because this company that I purchased, even in Fort Worth, down. <laughs> There's a lot more than tickets. I mean, do business cards, books, even signage now, and so on. So, um, but the other thing was, I just love Texas. I really do. I love Texas. There's a certain spirit in the people here, and I've told people in Cincinnati, there's something about Texas that I missed for 34 years. Honestly, um, this is, I don't know. This is an entrepreneurial spirit that matches my spirit. That people are not just out saying no, 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 you know? Mm -hmm. They said, wow, really? You wanna try that? Okay, let's do it. Mm -hmm. Cowboys. Cowboys, you got <laughs> it. So, and, I, I like, and, and, then the, and the other thing was that uh, most of the jobs that are being created, most of the businesses that are growing, most of the businesses that are moving are all happening in DFW. Mm -hmm. So that's where I chose Dallas Fort Worth. And I, after, the deal to purchase that other company fell through, through some funky reasoning. People were trying to steal, well, basically stole my business plan and she tried to shop it around. And the deal fell through, fine. And I was sleeping one night and I woke up. Lord woke me up, honestly. Mm. At about 2.30 in the morning and says, go turn on your computer. 
So I turned on my computer and I saw this ad for a commercial printing business. It's actually it's a 35 year old venerable commercial printing business. And I quickly responded to the ad, shared my background, shared my LinkedIn, um, what's the word, Pro profile with the gentleman. And he called me at 10 o'clock in the morning. He says, sir, can we talk? Have you got a minute? He says, I just shared your email with the owners and they think you're the guy. He said he looked at three other persons who happened to have been Caucasian white guys. He says, but I think he wants to meet you and he just got a feeling about you. Actually, he said a funny feeling about you. I said, so I told him, I said, well, I'm African-American. He said, I know, hey, I hear your accent. <laughs> <laughs> I said, but not only that, I said, I'm from the Caribbean. Because I know this is obviously a white guy. And he said, no, we don't care. I said, great, that's great, we'll get along. So my wife and I flew down after Thanksgiving and we met and we just hit it off. Hmm. Now, I hope my PNG guys are not listening. We came in as PNG purchasing managers because they didn't want to spook the employees. And somehow the production manager didn't believe me. He says, this guy looks like he wants to buy. <laughs> so here we are, we bought it. It took about six months, five months to get the deal consummated and closed. And uh, hmm. yeah, so here we are. So, so, so let me, and this, and this is a, just a super curious question because I have no idea how the printing business works and, and I'm, and I'm typical, you know, try to be paperless millennial. So yes. I get, I get curious about the printing business. Don't get me wrong. I wrote a book. I printed yes. the book. Yes. I know, I know that it's valuable, but how do you see the printing industry changing with, uh, is there merit to my thoughts about things going print? paperless or is that just a thought um, no I think it's 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 a good thought it's one of the things that my wife and I considered is the world going to go paperless and we did a lot of research we actually hired a consultant in late 2017 and through early 2018 to help us with this um, the truth is that despite what we said actually from about 2000 I heard people said that the paper is going to disappear not in DFW at least. Mm. We're still printing. We print a lot of brochures. People still give out business cards. Mm -hmm. Right this minute, we're printing a bunch of maps. Now we're holding them um, for the city of Fort Worth. And um, so people still use maps and other you know, tangible mm -hmm. assets that I can touch and feel and see. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, no, and, and, and here's why I asked that question because, like, I'm, I'm what you would call a value investor, right? So, yes. I, I like to buy cheap, unloved companies for clients. And, and opportunities come where people overestimate the future. Yes. You know, they think, yes. they think for example, um, I get like an example. So, I, um, I bought Home Depot, you know, yes. uh, and, it, and it's doing well. Yes. People, people thought, Hey, Amazon's gonna kill everybody, so retailers kind of went on sale. Yes. Um, but it's not—it's not killing Home Depot, right? right it's not gonna, right, you know. Right, and right, so I looked. For, right, so, right. so for printing, as I was walking around your shop, I was like, you know, I thought printing was a tough that, business, but then yes. I thought about myself. Yes. I was like, man, I—I I, I print books, and I bought my, wrote, wrote a book, print my books, yes. and I do that intentionally because, um, even though it might be more. Um, effective 
yeah. you know, to send a digital book. Mm-hmm. In business, you always want to do what people are not doing. So no, so yes. so nobody's handing out a physical eighty-page book. You know what I mean? And that's yes. a differentiator, and it makes me money. Yes. So I was like, hey, yes. printing is just. Yes. It's just going through a change, right? It's yes. just like a value stock that you're like, hey, this is yes. a great company to buy right now <laughs> while it's cheap. So that's why I asked that question because I was like, yes. man, printing actually is probably going to come back strong here soon. Yes. I think printing is, at least certainly in the DFW area, is, it's tough. It's a tough business. I, I, I Believe me, I wouldn't tell you it's, it's an easier thing. But people still want to see things mm-hmm. for reference or for whatever reason. Yep. Yep. And I and I, and I, I, find, I find myself reading more books. I'm like, yes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we still do that. Yeah. And yeah. we do another thing that we do is a lot of envelopes. People are still going to send out bills. Still, mm-hmm. some people pay online, and I do too. But there are people, for example, we do a lot of opportunity envelopes for churches and so on. So mm-hmm. people still do stuff. And and I bet with with your background, as far as you know, I mean, if you could help. Property, <laughs> Procter and Gamble, create a product, make the packaging right. Yes. And it's probably a cakewalk to talk to like a small business of saying, "Hey, come in here, we'll help you solve the problem." Like, it's probably way easier for you than. It probably is, and we've helped a few people. I can't mention some of the name of the restaurants. Like, they, for example, this one particular restaurant we did a job for recently. They came in and they wanted us to do some laminates thousands of laminated sheets and i said hey you know there's a way we can do this without laminating and it will be cheaper and actually faster and better because you're going to wipe the thing off because one of the expertise i have is in ink adhesion my png guys are probably laughing because uh i was in my last 10 years that's all i worked on. <laughs> how do you make the ink stick to something so we have a synthetic paper it's very white beautiful doesn't need to be laminated you can clean it you can wipe it and it's, it's tear resistant, you know, so it's fantastic. So this major restaurant, a chicken restaurant, we have an NDA, so I can't yeah, I get tell it. the name, but we have developed this particular technology with them. And the thing is, speaking about digital, we can print it on our digital printer. So it's very fast. They can make changes very easily and we print it and they're away they go. Nice. So, yeah. Nice. It's, it's cool stuff. Well, it, so, and, and here's one of the questions that, I, that I'll, I'll wrap up with, and it's going to be a question that I ask every guest moving yes. forward. So, knowing what you know now, right, and, yes. and it, it, there's a saying, what, what's the saying? Uh, uh, youth, youth is wasted on the, um, yeah, I forget the term, but basically, like, when we're 22, yes. if we knew what we knew, you know, if we, know, if we know what we know now at 22, we wouldn't waste so much time right so my question is like what would you tell your 22 year old self right that you know now uh that you didn't know to kind of help help you in life i think one of them is right up your alley investing um i i i began to invest and save later in life than i think i should have but I can tell you that I've done better than most as well as able to purchase this business. But I think definitely investing. And, and the other thing is not just saving my money in the bank, but playing the stock market. And that's, that's one. And then the other thing is international travel. I think I would have done more international travel, to be very honest, and maybe lived overseas sooner and longer <laughs> than I did. Okay. 
just my daughter I spoke to her just last night. We talked about that. I mean, she was, we were talking about Japan and just how, as African Americans, we were loved. People wanted to come to our house. They wanted to invite us to their house. And I told people in Germany in my first stint that I had never been invited to my American bosses' homes. Oh wow! Not ever. Wow. But in Germany, they expected me to. In Japan, they expected me to. They expected me to come to my home also. Mm -hmm. So, and I know a lot of African American colleagues that I met in Japan, and in, I would say in Asia in general, did not want to go back to the U.S. So there's something, there's some learning there for, for all of us. Mm -hmm. We should start encouraging our young people to interact more with each other mm -hmm. and live like we're truly neighbors. Right. You know, we have we, we be go to separate churches in Japan. Well, when I lived in Japan, and I often went to Korea, I went to this church, was invited by a colleague of mine, and lo and behold, the preacher was an African-American, black African-American guy. Oh, wow. Yes, at a, a Baptist church in Seoul, Korea. Wow. And it was like going to the United Nations. We need more of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Break down these barriers, break down those walls, because I think all of us want the same thing. Mm -hmm. Love peace, safety, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and a better life for our children. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's my thing. If I wish I had done more of that in my career. Okay. Early on. Well, well, I appreciate your time. I know it's valuable and appreciate everything you're sharing. Yeah. So, so appreciate your time. Thank you, Philip. Appreciate right. it. Thank you very much.